rolling now. I don't think that's true. We got sound. I think you're pulling my leg. Counting it down. Joshing, joshing with me. Three. Enough of this horseplay. Two. Down to business. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. This is Tari J. Whoa, this is Lex Michael sitting over here feeling uncomfortable now, feeling less secure than I did just moments ago. What makes you feel uncomfortable, human? Is the way your eyes are glowing? I, uh, ooh, I've been revealed. <laughs> nope. Okay. I am dead. I am dead. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Yes. I have expired. <laughs> it worked. I was once a person, and now I am, I am an idea that you remember. Um, hey, guys. This is Missing Out. Uh, if this is your first time listening, you've been missing out on some good stuff. Oh, I see what you did. All right, we can go home. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, we're not going to top that. You just you brought a full circle right in the opening seconds. What? I'm gone already. Do I need to come back? Yeah, pro- probably. He probably he he does this. Hey, uh what did I miss? Uh but you left. You stormed out in a huff. Oh. It was quite a spectacle. You missed it. I missed it? Yeah. And now we're missing out. Ah, oh, full circle. See you later. All right. So, uh this piece of paper that I'm sliding across the table in your direction is my resignation. What? Uh, I effective, walked away. Effective immediately. Uh, I'm coming back. It's got like seven stamps right on the letter because I don't know how postage works. Uh-huh. Yeah. So here you go. Thanks. Here's that. Too bad. I Still take, chained it, to the table. It says I take half of your possessions. Oh, cool. When I leave. Hmm. So I'm going to take this, uh, I'm going to take this mic. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. Okay. Right, so I'm, I'm leaving with it now. Great. These are my steps. Oh, and I'm yeah, I'm chained to the table, so hang on. We're gonna we're gonna just drag the table away with me. I'm tired. I'm tired. I don't think I can fit this through the door, so let's okay. do a podcast. All right. I'll do the intro now. Uh <laughs> what we do here is we introduce each other to different pieces of media, whether it be movies, TV, um, music, art. All uh, forms of art, art. All of those things you mentioned that aren't art and then also art. Yes. Yeah. Art. Well, I, w- I meant like pa- fur pencils, coats. paper, arts, but like that we was... We introduce each other to fur All right. Coats. Okay. You. When I when I, um, met, when I met Tari, I was like, hey, man, I'm Lex. He's like, hey, I'm Tari. And I was like, hey, that's a pretty nice coat. And he's like, oh, do you like my furs? <laughs> So yeah, once we introduce each other to the the pieces of art, we introduce it to you too as well, uh, you being the audience, and we look back and see how it affected us. We are the retrospective that's introspective. And today we're doing a little different of an, a retrospective. We're looking back on the years past. We're about two weeks, three weeks into January, so you and I have already probably... Uh, I, I kind of well. given up on our resolutions. Well, I, do, I don't bother with resolutions any, anymore. I'm not that optimistic. I mean, I make them and then I like fulfill some and then put them on the list for the next year. 
Uh, see, like what I don't bother with specific resolutions. My, I guess I don't. If I had to put words to my thought process, it's usually all right. New year, do do the same stuff, but better. Okay, just do do all of it better than you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do. Uh, my my resolutions are a two step process. So I make a general um, goal, and then I put a an actionable task below it. Wow. Um. So let's say the the uh, resolution is uh, do more voiceover, then that's general enough to be a thing. Um, and the actionable task is 100 auditions this year. So it's like that, that kind of thing. Um, that's how I generally manage my resolutions. Oh, okay. Mine is just a general suck less. <laughs> and, I, and I do it by trying to suck less. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's actually, it's working out pretty well. I mean, you know, it's it's all all progress is gradual progress, all lasting progress, anyways. Well, of is course, gradual progress. Yeah. But I like to think that I suck ever so slightly less today than I did even even just two weeks ago. Yeah. It also helps that you substitute your vacuum from this year with a less effective vacuum, and that way every year you suck a little bit less effectively. Yes. It's uh, it's all about moving the goalposts. Totally. Like like anything in life. Uh, really it's it's all just about <laughs> finding finding that bar you can settle for mm-hmm. yeah yeah yep. uh that's my view on love as well um Aww. but i know Aww. i know i know girl um but uh that said we are looking back on 2017 uh and the stuff that affected us stuff that we really liked stuff that uh was really entertaining stuff that affected the general zeitgeist um, and from like, our perspective, 2017 for movies alone. I mean, look, 2017 uh, for the world was pretty d- terrible. I guess terrible, terrible. I feel it doesn't even quite say it. It was, it was definitely. I think the worst year that there's been since I've been alive uh, for pretty much everybody. Uh, but one place where you could go uh, for a respite from from some of that horror was uh, the movie theater. I think 2017 was a really excellent year for movies overall. I think we had some really great big. Uh, tenpole movies come out, and I think we also had a number of really, really strong, really interesting smaller movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like really excellent year overall. Like uh, movies alone, before you even start uh, exploring TV, music, uh, literature, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so much that that was excellent came out of 2017. Yeah. So essentially, we are going to. We haven't seen each other's lists. We are going to kind of just throw it at one another see how we how it affected us and mostly just kind of present it um until we get to the end and then at that point you can tweet at us what your favorite things of 2017 were or why you think we're stupid um yeah mostly the latter i guess well it's it's twitter but lex start us off well okay so i guess what uh, we're gonna do some some hit some honorable mentions right yeah so, cause I, yeah, I feel like we, we talked very briefly and I got the sense that your, your uh, presentation was perhaps more structured than mine. So maybe we'll both just run through really quickly, run through a couple of uh, honorable mentions from the past year. Um, I guess really quickly. And, and I, I assume the conversations will become more and more elaborate the further into these we get. Yeah. Um, but as far as honorable mentions, uh, the first thing that I wanted to shout out, uh, was, uh, the pickle Rick episode of Rick and Morty. <laughs> I feel like I would be remiss if I ignore it. And I feel like I forget because it feels like it was so long ago. Yeah. Like the way I feel like time 
uh, is perceived by me's terrible sentence construction. The way I have been perceiving time, and I wonder, I think this must be fairly common. It feels like the older I get, the more... Uh, it feels like time is going incredibly quickly and very slowly all at once. Mm-hmm. So something will feel both like it just happened and also it happened years ago. Yeah. Pickle Rick is a little bit like that. It was something that like, cause you, so many people now will just yell it. Yeah. And it, it feels odd to think that a year ago that wasn't a thing at all. And I think that episode is a really, it's an excellent piece of television too. I feel like it's a good episode where if, if somebody's not a fan of the show, you could show it to them. And even if they don't love it, they'll get a sense of what the show can be when it's at its strongest. It's, it's most absurd. Yes. But also it's most engaged with, uh, people's foilables, people's weaknesses. I love, uh, the, the way it addresses the concept of therapy and how like it compares it to brushing your teeth, how it's not like glamorous or sexy. It's, it's, but you're doing, you're just doing the work. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really great episode of television where he also is a pickle in a, in like a robot suit, uh, (laughs) which is great. Um, but yeah, that would be for, for honorable mentions. That would be the first one that comes to me. Okay. Nice. Um, my honorable mention, uh, or one of my honorable mentions is Pennywise from it. Oh, uh, just the character. Just the character. Well, I liked the movie, but I think that the character itself was a standout. Like, when I leave that movie, that's mostly what I think of and what I really want to kind of dive into again. Yeah. So, like, if I buy the, the Blu-ray, I really want it for all of the different Pennywise moments. Like, I like kid-oriented movies. Like, I, I like... And by that, I mean I like... like Stranger Things, which is kids examining a strange thing in town or like uh, every Spielberg kids movie. Um, So when I say kids movie, I don't mean movies for kids, but featuring kids doing a thing. Sure. Um, So like Goonies. Sure. I've never seen it. Oh, no. Um, I mean, okay, but see, like somebody listening... I think in that moment really wanted me to be like, oh, we got, we're going to do Goonies. I'm like, Goonies, I like Goonies fine. Goonies was not, not that I dislike Goonies. I feel like I missed the boat on Goonies a little bit. Yeah. Like I feel like Goonies is a really big deal to people uh, of comparable age if they connected with it at a certain point early on enough. Yeah. And I feel like I never really did. So I can watch Goonies and, and appreciate it, but I'm not like a diehard Goonie like a lot of people. Right. So I'm kind of in the same boat. So I think if I saw it now, I'd be like, cool um but that said um it was a really fascinating view into how you can recreate a character in your own way and so i feel like bill skarsgård managed to take our view of this iconic character that was played by um mark curry and what sorry mark curry tim curry who's mark i do it every time mark curry is a comedian um, he was the star of Hanging with Mr. Cooper. I know of Hanging with Mr. Cooper. That's yes. exciting. I would watch um, that version of it. So played by uh, Tim Curry. Um, and he was able to make it both terrifying and uh, kind of playful in a way, which I thought really 
lended well to that movie. I don't think the movie would have been the same without that version of Pennywise. Uh, agreed completely. If I if I was going to pick one element of it to put on my best of list, it would be the gif people made of him dancing. Oh, yeah. Like the real disturbing, like where his head is completely stationary, mm-hmm. but his body is moving. That, I think, I think we'd be remiss not to include that gif on all of our best of 2017 <laughs> lists. No, and it, it's a, right, like it's a, that's a perfect example of a movie, a big movie too. It made a ton of money. Yeah. And I almost spaced on the fact that it came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. And it's not not that I wasn't a fan. Like, I think that's a really excellent uh, movie. And not just an excellent horror movie. I mean, I feel like that was a really well-made movie. And it felt, you know, big. Like, very, Warner's is really the only company now that does horror movies that feel big at all. Uh, yeah. That, The Conjuring. Um, and so it's no, it's no accident that the guy who oversees those is now overseeing the DC movies. Mm-hmm. Makes, it does actually make a certain amount of sense. Conjuring, really, if you think about it, is uh, well, arguably the most successful cinematic shared universe that isn't Marvel. Yeah. Because what Conjuring, The Nun, Annabelle, like that's all one thing. So I mm-hmm. guess I get, I get the logic yeah. there. But uh, I, uh, the scale of it and how, like, the, clearly, like they put some money into telling this story and the money is all you see it all and the way Pennywise distorts reality and the way he distorts himself and the way he is able to individualize his approach for all the kids to prey on their most specific fears and obviously this is something that's been part of the story since the original King novel right seeing it brought to life in this way with an aesthetic sensibility that is modern and also isn't isn't a TV aesthetic, but I don't mean to obviously TV now aesthetically is often indistinguishable from movies, but I mean specifically the aesthetic of a decades old television miniseries version of it, which is what Tim Curry was in. Yeah. I, I endorse this. Uh, <laughs> it, it was really good. Yeah. What about you? What's your next? What is on? my next? What is my next thing? Uh, bu- 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 I guess uh, the next thing for me probably would have been that uh, Crisis on Earth X crossover on the CWDC shows, but we nice. did a whole show about that. Yeah. So we can we can sidestep that one. And I think, all right, I think my next honorable mention I will give to Thor Ragnarok. For, nice. for a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, one, about as much fun as I I conceivably could have at a movie theater i think i had watching this movie i haven't laughed as hard in a very long time as i did watching thor ragnarok and part of it is i think how crazy specific after after the better part of 10 years in this universe you can be insanely specific with the jokes Mm -hmm. um like the moment that comes to mind for me is like uh uh in the arena when thor tries to use the lullaby on hulk yes that I thought was hilarious and brilliant and again incredibly specific in a way that you don't you don't get to play like that if you don't have uh, a bench of characters that people are familiar with that's this deep and this established um but on top of it being hilarious and on top of it being aesthetically very pleasing and on top of like like the score is really really cool um it's also a movie that subtly and also not so subtly is about the horrors of colonialism, mm-hmm. which seems to have like uh, it seems to have gone past a lot of people or gone over a lot of people's heads. That it's actually part of, it's part of the text of the movie. And no, the movie is not a particularly heavy story. It's very it's a very it's it's you know it's a Taika Waititi comedy that happens to feature Thor and the Hulk, but it has all of these thematic elements baked right in. Hella, uh, the Cape Blanchett villain. Her entire uh, motivation is couched in the idea that uh, Odin, 
essentially uh, he did all of this conquering by means that were maybe not so savory and then wanted to celebrate all that he had accomplished and all that he had won and all that he had while uh, whitewashing all of the terrible destructive things he had to do to get there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was about like peeling the layers back on that deception and showing people the truth for what it actually is. Um, You don't see, you don't see ideas like that in big blockbuster movies. I think like hats off to Marvel studios for allowing Taika Waititi to very clearly make the movie that he wanted to make. Um, I think it's very smart. I think it's, I think it's very smart while also looking dumb. And I think that's really hard to do. Yeah. Um, like there's, there are Hulk dick jokes in this movie. There's a whole running bit about how they have to get off of the planet Sakaar through this giant wormhole. And it's called the devil's anus. Mm -hmm. And they get, they get some mileage off of these characters just saying anus a couple of times. It's (laughs) dumb, but it actually, you have to be really smart to make something that on the surface in many, many moments feels that, stupid yeah and is also quite quite clever and and thematically rich at the same time and it's not just like a if you haven't seen for most of you have seen it if you're listening to this show i would guess your sensibility skews in a in a direction that may allow you to go see a film like thor ragnarok and enjoy it if you haven't seen it i don't mean to suggest that it's all uh jokes about butts and wieners (laughs) um but no i i had a blast with that you know like anybody who listens to the show knows that i'm a sucker for the marvel stuff um but this in particular, like really of their slate this year, uh, stood out to me as feeling very much like a, a departure from their usual, the usual feel of a Marvel joint. And uh, it's very encouraging to see them now start to uh, allow more auteur filmmakers to stretch a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it bodes incredibly well for uh, Black Panther as well. Like I, I would have believed that they'd give Ryan Coogler as long a leash as Coogler wanted. But when you see what they let Taika Waititi do with Thor Ragnarok, to me, it's even more reassuring that, yeah, they probably let him do his thing as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I was a huge, huge, huge fan of Thor Ragnarok. And I think there are people who were maybe put off by how comedic it was. Mm-hmm. Check it out again. And yeah, it's still going to have the same jokes in it, but look for that, that thematic undercurrent. Look for that, that, idea about uh the the evils of colonial uh, evils of colonialism yeah there's a lot there and i think that balance is really interesting nice um i enjoyed it as well uh my next thing is uh this is close to my it was almost on my like top list but the handmaid's tale i've uh, still not seen it really it's like the next thing on my list of shows to watch mm-hmm. i just i haven't gotten there yet um, it's to me, one, it's not just a really interesting story and it's not just like shot super well, but it also in terms of the, the landscape of kind of television, you were saying earlier how te- TV and movies are now almost indistinguishable and it, it's basically shot like a series of eight separate movies and it is of such a high quality. Like, I think it just won a lot, a bunch of golden globes, um, because of how amazing it was. Um, and it also made put Hulu on the map as like a legitimate contender for, uh, providing television content. That was like, that was their big breakthrough original show, right? Yeah. It's so, it's so crazy to me because it, it that was just this past year and it already feels like it's been a lifetime since Hulu was 
was known additionally for churning out their original content like yeah. Amazon, like Netflix. Not only is it all the other, other things I said before, but it's also so close to kind of what could happen in our own realities if certain circumstances come in. Like the, the, the idea being that essentially at a certain point, women became uh, property because um, they needed them for um, for uh, what is it procreation and so at a certain point um, they had to restructure their whole society to make this happen um, but like the transition from an, our normal society to that society only took a matter of a few years or like less than less than five years maybe a decade but it was a very fast turnaround and it just shows the power that a lawmaker could have over people in their bodies um which i think is really what affected a lot of the women who watched it seeing essentially their these characters agency go from 100 to zero um is a really scary concept and it's not like a horror thing it's just a it's scary because it's so close to reality right i mean it is it is the logical extreme end point it's like the worst case scenario uh that could come out of these de- these debates that of course these incredibly silly debates uh as far as not silly as far as what we're actually talking about but silly that they have to be had yeah we are still having to now uh, now we're in 2018 we're still having these aggressive aggressive arguments about people's right to agency and control over their own bodies mm-hmm. yikes um but yeah I, of course like everybody else i heard a great deal about handmaid's tale when it first came out and i even just reading about it i felt I felt floored by how necessary it sounded like uh, that type of story was. Like it's still it's very high on my on my watch list. It's the next show that I want to jump into. It's like I'm so I'm so far behind. Um so we're almost at the halfway mark. So let's start getting into our top 5. How could we almost be at the halfway mark? That's crazy. I know. That's craziness cuz there's so god there were so many that like I would want to shout out really like really quickly. I'd want to shout out a couple more things. Like I really want to yeah. shout out um uh, Tiffany Haddish in Girls Trip. Oh, specifically, yes. I remember I I finally saw it. Like uh, it was on I think VOD by the time I saw it. Um, I saw it after talking to you about it and hearing. I mean, hearing pretty unanimously how great it was. Mm-hmm. But talking to you about it, and then I remember texting you after I watched it, and I said something to the effect of, "And I stand by this. Uh, I want her to win an Academy Award for this movie. Yeah. Like in a in a." In a world that was more just, uh, the Academy, I think, would be more open to considering uh, a wider genre selection of movies. Yeah. Uh, they're notorious for overlooking comedy entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gave one of the most committed, on-point performances I saw in any genre all year. And I can't say I really knew her before that movie. I mean, I think it's fair to say for a lot of people that that she arrived with that movie. Right. But that performance is st- Daggering. Even if you are positive, you are not the audience for Girls Trip. I highly recommend it for her performance alone. I mean, she's she kills it. Oh um, yeah. So I would want to shout her out. And then I guess the last of uh, for me honorable mentions, it would be a, a tie between uh, Good Time and Personal Shopper. So if you had told me, I don't know, five years ago uh, or less that uh, two of the movies I was most captivated and impressed by in 2017, uh, one would star Robert Pattinson and one would star Kristen Stewart. I would have 
uh, rolled my eyes at you uh, and then bailed on that conversation in a really subtle <laughs> way and like gone somewhere else and been like, I'm an, I need to refill this drink and then never never would have come back because it just it sounded so it would be so outlandish mm-hmm. uh, for me to consider. But uh, here we are, and those are two two movies that I think. Um, for a lot of people, a lot of mainstream audiences, certainly, I think it flew under their radar. But I think Good Time, especially in the last handful of months of the year, got a lot of love. It's the it's this like uh, super, it's like very uh, gritty, hyper realistic uh, heist movie, like New York heist movie starring Robert Pattinson. Okay. Um, and I don't want to like go like ch- check it out. I don't want to like labor too much, describe what it's about too much. But it's it's excellent. And Personal Shopper is a movie where uh, it's actually the second movie that Kristen Stewart did with Olivia Sayas. Uh, where she plays a celebrity's assistant, um, but it's about her. It's it's essentially about processing grief and about how she may be able to uh, communicate with spirits, including possibly the spirit of her departed brother. And it's it's essentially about how we how we process grief. But mm-hmm. she is she's excellent in it. Uh, her work with Isaias, uh that movie, and also Clouds of Sils Maria's, uh, uh, really shifted my perception of Kristen Stewart as an actress and I'm actually oh, really? I'm actually a bit of a convert now. Interesting. Yeah, um but so but so those two and it felt it felt uh, appropriate to give those two uh equal standing. Yeah. I had heard that that uh those two actors um were kind of killing it on the indie scene. Yes. So it's nice to hear that especially from you being more of a, a movie buff that like it's legit feedback. It took me longer to come around on Pattinson, but once Cronenberg was like, oh, this, the, yeah, this guy's my boy now. I was like, all right, well, cl- clearly then uh, deserving of a reassessment, I think, by a lot of audiences. And not for, no- look, not like nobody nobody looks good in the Twilight movies. I don't think it's necessarily uh, on them. Uh, but no, both, two two really excellent movies. Um, obviously, your mileage may vary on both. They're both uh, the pretty jarring experiences in places, but yeah. uh, I highly recommend both of them. Yeah, two of my of my favorites from the year. Okay. And then the last of my like honorable mentions are um, the Good Place, a great show on I NBC. I hear amazing things. Check it out; it's very I clever. Okay. Um, it's from uh, Michael Schur. Michael Schur, um, S C H U R. Um, he worked on The Office. He worked on Parks and Rec. Uh, and so it's very clever. It. I'm not a big sitcom guy. Um, mostly because I find a lot of them fairly formulaic. Yep. Um, and I, I find that some of the humor, since you have to kind of always reset back to one, um, I don't find that there's a lot of growth with the characters. But this show, there's a, a definitive narrative. The characters grow and you see it and you feel it. And it's also just legitimately like hilarious in terms of like, it's the situations are the comedy. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, so that's one of my, uh, honorable mentions. The other one being a, uh, music, a podcast called off book. Um, it is an improvised musical podcast. Um, you've told me about this. Yes. It's amazing. Um, I highly recommend it to anyone who is a fan of improv and a fan of musicals and a fan of musical improv. Um, it's very funny. It's very well done. They get, uh, they get really great guests, and they've also started getting um, guests from like Broadway musicals and, and people doing local theater around here, which is awesome. So like they had the guy who was doing King George uh, from the Hamiltons touring uh, season, 
Um, so it's great. So that's my last honorable mention. Um, what's your what's what's in your top five, son? Okay, so a couple of qualifiers, really quickly. A couple of things that would really, by any right, be in there, but I feel like I have to leave them off for for reasons that I will. So uh, for, are you are you giving me more honorable mentions? No, I'm telling. I'm just telling you things that are not going to be on there and why they're not going to be on there. Um, okay. I'm leaving off Twin Peaks: The Return because that would be the entire list. And there were other things uh, that came out. So yeah. I'm leaving that off. That would easily, that would be my number one. That would be my number one, like, and there would be like 15 empty slots under it before you got to anything else. Yeah. Um, not including Get Out, just because I think it speaks for itself. I feel like Get Out was the movie of last year. And they, they don't need me to reassure them of that. They know. <laughs> uh, and also, I'm not including, uh, although I want to include, uh, I want to shout out specifically a piece of it. I'm not including Wonder Woman, even though I would argue Wonder Woman was the other movie of 2017. Certainly, without question, the defining blockbuster of the year. Um, specifically would want to shout out the No Man's Land sequence because I think uh, maybe Wonder Woman was not necessarily my favorite superhero movie of 2017, but that that was the the uh, quintessential cinematic superhero sequence. The fact that apparently Patty Jenkins had to fight to keep that in the movie is so mm -hmm. bonkers to me because that sequence is your movie. Uh, it's incredible, uh, but that movie is not going to be on the the overall uh, short list. And also okay. bear in mind, I whittled this down, but I didn't make a top 10 for myself this year because I couldn't figure out how to get it under like 20. Yeah. Um, so this is just a sampling. This isn't even necessarily, I don't rank typically. Yeah. Um, I just tend to pick a few things and throw them into a list in no particular order. So this isn't like these are these are my picks for like the best five things, objective best. These aren't even necessarily my top five favorites to the exclusion of everything else. These are just like five things yeah. I really like. Give us your five, bro. Stop prefacing. Prefaces, prefaces in <laughs> context. That's prefaces in context are gonna be it's gonna be the name of my memoir. And it's all it's gonna be just like four hundred pages of introductory paragraphs. Uh-huh. And then it's gonna be like, and now to the and then it's gonna end. <laughs> it's not even the sentence isn't even gonna finish. We ran out of ink yeah. at the end of the book. Okay, so I just talked a lot. Why don't you give me your first one and then and then I'll go. <laughs> You know what? Get Out is to... actually on my list. Well, which is totally de defensible and proper. Yes. Um it was a it was a it's hard to even talk about it. So like uh it's a, it was a great deb debut from Jordan Peele. Um, his his f debut movie is better than most filmmakers like 7th or 8th movies. Right. So he had been playing a lot with like genre bending and things of that sort in his show and also he's like done other comedy that kind of plays in that field um but i feel like this was a great way i think the the thing that stuck out to me most about get out is that it is a different movie depending on who you are yeah which i feel like a not not a lot of movies do that like in, in the way that he will describe it he'll say that like for black people it's a comedy and for white people it's a thriller or vice versa. No, it's definitely not a comedy for white people. Um, but like, that's the thing is like you, depending on where, what your background is, like you see these little moments, like for example, um, his friend being like, yo, you, you can't go meet your white girl's friend. Um, and that can be like a, a moment that is just like foreshadowing, or it could be a moment that we've all experienced. And you're like, you're right. That's the worst. Right. 
Um, well, I think like it's not necessarily. I think the the distinction you were making is like you know if you're it plays different if you're uh, black versus white, which I'm I'm sure is accurate. But I also feel like it's going to play differently, not just based on what your skin color is, but also just how perceptive you are to the experiences of other people. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think obviously like I as a white audience member, I I am not. Go, I, I can't have the exact same experience watching it that a black audience member would. Yeah. But I can understand what the, I can understand what the point of view is. And I can understand how just how deeply, truly, bleakly disturbing so many of these things are like it doesn't play. None of it play. There are laughs in the movie, but none of it plays funny. Yeah. Um. I wanted to ask you, how do you feel about there was there was much, uh, much hubbub recently over Get Out being run at best uh, best picture musical or comedy at the Golden Globes, and a lot of people had some pretty strong opinions about that. Did you have much feeling about it one way or the other? Um, so my thought was that I think it was a it was a play. Like I imagine that at some point, either like who like a publicist or or someone whomever was making the decision was like here you have you stand a better chance of getting it under comedy as opposed to under drama where you're up against all these other like really big heavy hitters three billboards Um, right and so i think that that it was like a strategic play that ultimately didn't pan out right um but like i i totally get the strategy so like yeah, it just it felt it felt odd. It felt like I don't think it was anybody's intention to trivialize any element of the subject matter, but it yeah. felt a little bit like I I understood the reactions of of uh, certain social media users who were like, "Oh, you th- oh, this is funny to you," mm. and I was like, "Well, mm, well right." Mm. Um, I guess well, so I I feel like I understand it more because or not understand it more, but I think my perspective comes because I am essentially like I, I live in LA and I kind of exist in this industry. And so like I, my, my initial reaction isn't like, it's more just like from the standpoint of winning awards, it feels like that is what um, increases your chances of getting that award. Whereas like, if you're not bathing in this industry, I mean, then essentially you see the movie and you're like, this is what the subject matter is. And then you see the nomination and you're like, this is how people perceive it. Um, so. And then I feel like, too, I feel like there are some movies that like not I think Get Out is deserving of any and all awards that anybody wants to hand it. I do think that there's an element of backlash that then takes hold when movies get these nominations. Like nobody was mad at La La Land, for example. Like there are plenty of people who didn't particularly care for it but i don't think anybody was mad at la la land until it started getting all of these nominations right i i don't think get out needs that you know not that i think people will turn on the movie but i think it's like the fact that sunken place is now part of the lexicon yeah like that term didn't certainly didn't exist in that context a year ago yeah um i don't think the movie needs help getting attention i don't think it it needs any more help uh, asserting that it's got a place of cultural relevance i mm-hmm. think it's more than cemented itself uh as having a place in film history yeah i i guess i do i wonder if if maybe like uh, getting a whole bunch of prestigious nominations and awards might make a certain subset of people silly people but a certain subset of people go oh it's pretentious and silly and like other people like it so i can't like it because that's cooler etc 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 
Yeah. I mean, I think from the Jordan Peele perspective, um, winning a Golden Globe out of the gate just increases your cachet. Right. You just get uh, maybe a few more bucks to do your next thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and you kind of, you mentioned that like the sunken place is now part of the lexicon. That was another thing that I really enjoyed about get out is that it, it was so heavily memed and it became part of the, the company or not company culture, but like the, the culture that like it became, you associate different pieces of the movie with um people in the real world like any uh, like at the moment when uh because it it was very popular at the very beginning of the this current administration and um i forget ben 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 carson ben um ben carson who is seen as a for lack of a better word like a, a sellout type person um uh, and yes the it became this wave of anyone who is essentially working against their own people are in the sunken place and i really like that the addition of that shorthand yes yeah and and the fact that you don't have to explain to people what it means i feel like even people that have not seen get out now mm-hmm. have some understanding of what you mean when you refer to the sunken place right um, so yeah, so that's get out. Yeah. I, I, 100%, uh, it, it, the, the movie of 2017, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so what about you? All right. Let me, let's take a look at the old, the old list, list place. Um, you know what? Okay. I'm going to go with, uh, uh, for my number from counting down. I don't need to get, it doesn't matter if I count Does, down because yeah, they're not ranked, matter. but my number Just, five, we're going to count down because it's exciting or that way. Okay. <laughs> Uh, my number five is Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, oh. uh, which I saw just recently. I got um, started to get SAG screeners, so finally I'm like catching up on on a good handful of movies from the last you know third of the year or so that I missed. I mm-hmm. I had heard nothing but praise for this movie, um, so I assumed I'd like it. I'm a big fan of Guillermo del Toro's body of work. I was not prepared for how truly lovely this movie would be and the pr- the premise is truly bizarre and when you watch the movie you're struck or at least I was struck by this immense feeling of oh my god I cannot believe this exists I cannot believe you have to be Guillermo del Toro to be handed a budget to get to do this movie it's a movie about uh, a, a mute woman who works at a lab where a fish creature has been brought in and is being held in captivity and the two of them form a bond and eventually maybe even fall in love. And uh, so there's a fish monster at the center of this movie. There's a fish monster that has sexual intercourse at the center of this movie, uh, which right away uh, you've sold me a ticket when you tell me that there is a fish monster that fucks in this movie. (laughs) But what I, what I find so, so much uh, more hilarious and so much greater than any single element contained within the movie itself is what apparently the the genesis of this idea was. Apparently, and this is apparently true, apparently this is, this is from Guillermo del Toro's own account. He was seven years old and he saw a creature from the Black Lagoon. And uh, apparently he was struck with two thoughts. One was, oh my God, this is the most beautiful creature design I have ever seen. And the second thought was, I really wish he would end up with the female lead of this movie. Hmm. Um, the, it was literally, I wish the fish man fucked was literally the impetus. <laughs> that was the kernel of the idea that would one day become the shape of water. But I joke 
And yes, on its face, it's a ridiculous premise, but it is so powerfully moving. Um, yeah. Watching the relationship between these two outsiders blossom. Um, Sally Hawkins, who plays the lead, is a phenomenal, phenomenal actress. Um, part of her, her character's need in the movie, and I think it's an incredibly relatable need, is she finds in, in this fish man somebody who sees her not for what she lacks, but for, for who she is in total as, as herself. It is, it is, it's, uh, it's beautiful. It's, it's, uh, so nice to watch these two find each other. And then of course, uh, he's got fish man with fish magic and they're fending off, uh, the villainous Michael Shannon, Mm -hmm. who's wonderful. Who's doing like Michael Shannon has one, like, He's got a one type of thing that he does incredibly well, and every so often you feel like he's just outside the margin of what his perfect sweet spot is, and he's always insanely compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, the his role in The Shape of Water feels like it's it's like the perfect bullseye sweet spot for what he does and how he approaches his characters. Also, Richard Jenkins doing phenomenal uh, phenomenal work in that movie. Uh, I yeah, I can't recommend it enough. It's a really nice, super dark sci-fi fairy tale love story that I at the end of the movie, like when the credits rolled, actually had me uh, emotional. Oh, nice. Um, my next thing is a graphic novel. Yeah. Um, it is called Black Science. It is produced. Oh, I've read the first couple issues of that. Like when oh, they first when they first came out, I read like I think issues maybe one through three. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started uh, reading it last year. Um, my buddy, uh, essentially started lending them to me just to kind of like show me the kind of stuff that he was into. Um, and cause I was looking to get back into reading graphic novels and comics and things. Um, and so this one is, is released by image, which isn't one of the like bigger ones. So image is pretty much, I would, I would argue image is the biggest uh, the biggest company that isn't the big two. Right. Like after Marvel and DC, I'd say Image is probably the next one down in terms of status. Uh, I Interesting. I would put Dark Horse over Image. Re- I feel like there are more books coming out of Image now and in the last like five years or so that I've keyed into. That could just be me, but I feel like I'm hearing more about uh, high profile Image releases than Dark Horse at this point. Dark Horse, my association with Dark Horse is primarily like a lot of their licensed stuff. Like okay. from the from the like late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. Like I started reading all the the uh Buffy comics, I think, when they were over at Dark Horse. And yeah. now I think now I think IDW has all of that. Or maybe I got it backwards. Maybe IDW had it and they went to Dark Horse. I don't I don't yeah. know. License license stuff. Yeah. Um so if you're not familiar with the premise, uh essentially this man uh has been studying the multiverse. And figures out the way to punch a hole between realities. And uh, his machine is, it goes haywire and brings him, his daughter, his son, and uh, two of the other scientists and one of the money men. And it's their journey throughout a bunch of different realities. And I think the main thing that I really enjoy about this series, especially because I watch a lot of stuff with multi-universe content and a lot of the time each universe is very slightly different it's like oh man these people wear green and oh man this guy's skinny whereas he's fat in the other one or like it's Um, us but we're all nazis right right whereas this one it takes 
every universe is so unique and, and visually stunning. Like there's one where um, essentially it's all Mantis people. And at a certain point you get a Mantis version of all the people that you're following. And another one, um, it is a, a universe that doesn't have people at all. And it's all flora and fauna and it's super dangerous. You have another one where it's all, to- they're like a bunch of just, giant toads and you're kind of traversing through that area i mean the one that's closest to our own reality uh i guess in terms of there are just a bunch of people um it is a world in which the native americans were never colonialized they had uh, developed advanced technology and ended up being the dominant people of the earth um which is really fascinating um to ha- see how they've melded their technology with what one could describe as magic, but it's only like, it's so advanced, it seems like magic. The idea of what this culture could have been if it wasn't obliterated by uh, colonialists. Right. Yeah. Um, So it's a very fascinating comic. And also, uh, beyond just how fascinating the worlds are, there is a lot of stuff between the different characters that, um, like, there, there are some, like, cliche type stuff but for the most part you're you really get invested with these characters and and they find ways of bringing different versions of them around and it's really well done cool yeah so that's black science nice hell yeah yeah i want to go back and check out more of that i remember uh i remember liking the first the first uh couple issues it's been long enough i don't really remember them all that well but i think it was at a time where i was trying to keep track of I don't know, 12 books at once and it ended up uh, falling away from me. But yeah, I yeah. would definitely be interested in going back and looking at that again. Do it. What else you got for us? What else do I got? All right. Um, I guess for me, the next one on my list would be the third season of Fargo. Okay. Far- so Fargo is a show I actually uh, very similar to my relationship with Hannibal, another one of my favorite shows that there's ever been. Uh, when both of these shows were announced, uh, I saw the news and I, I cocked my head to the side. I raised an eyebrow and I went, really? Why? Like, I get it. It's a brand that you can cash in on. But like, come on, that seems like cheap and hacky and lazy. And they've already done the best version of this they can do. In the case of Fargo, obviously the Coen Brothers movie. In the case of Hannibal, I would have said Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Listen, you're not going to do better than that. This is like, it's, it almost feels like an affront to my sensibilities that you're doing this to this great work and to the fans of this great work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, the thing comes out and I'm like, this is brilliant. I was dumb. Yeah. Uh, Fargo is is easily one of my favorite shows uh, and in my opinion, one of the best that is currently running. It's an anthology series. And it's all set in the same universe. Uh, it's all set in the same universe as the movie. Also, there are things, there are elements that tie all of the seasons and the movie together. But uh, being an anthology, every year you get a different a different crime story set in this greater Fargo universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and Noah Hawley, who is the uh, creator and showrunner, uh, he also does uh, Legion. By the way, Um, he's also developing, uh, allegedly still developing a potential Doctor Doom movie. Mm -hmm. We'll see if that ends up happening now because the this like Disney acquisition of Fox. Who knows if that happens? If it does happen, take take my money. (laughs) Um, But so he would start with a kernel of an idea uh, for each season, and that would spark uh, would spark his mind going, and that's you know the 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 seed from which the entire 
story of the season would grow. In season one, his idea was that it'd be these two guys talking to each other in a, a hospital waiting room. Uh, one of them is light, one of them is dark. As far as, you know, like their their goodness alignment. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're discussing a murder. For the second season, his idea was uh, it's a housewife driving home with a man through uh, the windshield of her car. And then for the third season, it was two identical twin brothers fighting over a stamp. Okay. And not knowing what, what that meant, what would come out of it. So season three of Fargo... Uh, and like the previous two seasons, there are a number of plot threads, but primarily centers on the Stussy brothers, Ray and Emmett, both played by Ewan McGregor. And uh, he's in a relationship with a character played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, uh, he, one of them, Ray, is in a relationship with, uh, oh God, what's her name? Uh, Swango, Nikki Swango. And uh, they they have this uh, plan to become professional bridge players and to win a whole bunch of money that way. He's a parole officer. She's one of his uh, parolees, so they're not supposed to be together. His brother Emmett is the like the parking lot king, so he's got a ton of money, and they've got a rivalry that stretches back to their childhood when Ray feels Emmett cheated him out of their dad's priceless stamps. Um, so Ray hires uh, one of his parolees to go steal the stamp from his brother but due to a mix-up this convict uh, ends up in the wrong place ends up killing a man with the same last name and that sparks uh, a chain of events and an investigation that eventually touches and consumes everybody around it Uh, Fargo uh, primarily stories about uh, uh, people who aren't necessarily the the smartest getting in way 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 over their heads uh, in usually in criminal situations, usually in ways that cost one or more people their lives. Uh, This season also gives us, uh, in my opinion, maybe the quintessential villain for, for the age we find ourselves living in now for 2017 uh, in the form of VM Varga played by David Thewlis, whose entire MO is having all of the wealth you can imagine, but keeping himself completely invisible. So nobody's looking at him. Nobody can track him. Nobody knows who he is, why he's doing what he does. And then find every piece of information, essentially uh, data aggregation. Like he's mm-hmm. a, like a one man data aggregator, learn everything you can about everybody else so that you can manipulate them with, with truth. Yes. But with uh, disinformation and noise and overwhelm them, bewilder them. And you can essentially wrap them around your finger and do what you will with them. Interesting. Um, and his, and uh, Thulis's performance, the character is so, so gross. Um, he's almost like he embodies like the worst, the most, the ugliness of, uh, uh, American overindulgence and excess. Uh, he like binges and purges all the time. He's got these hideously disgusting teeth that he's like scraping at with, with different utensils is, he's, 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 he's <laughs> gross. It's like, he'll, he'll make you feel uncomfortable. But, um, uh, also, uh, Carrie Coon, uh, truly, truly brilliant. She had a great year too. Uh, she between that and the leftovers, um, she's a brilliant actress. Uh, it's good. It's so good. I feel like I'm like my thought process is petering out because now I'm just finding myself like playing out scenes <laughs> from the show in my head. Yeah. Um, but really, really great, odd uh, crime story, and and a little bit more uh, intimate feeling than the two previous seasons of Fargo. Uh, season one, in terms of uh, uh, scope scale tone feels the closest to the movie season two uh which is set in the late 70s feels uh, a lot more epic by comparison season three set in the the very very recent past um 
bit of a more a bit of a more intimate tone. But it's uh, quite 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 a good show. I highly recommend the entire all three seasons of the show. Uh, potentially uh, a fourth cycle of it coming uh, next year in 2019. Oh, nice. Good yeah. stuff. I think you and McGregor just won a. a he did. He wanted to go to, it. and and I had to. I had to accept that Kyle McLaughlin did not win for Twin Peaks, and it became a little bit easier to accept when it was McGregor that won, because McGregor does again truly, truly excellent work as these two, two uh, brothers. Nice. Um, before we get to our next thing, I'm gonna shout out a new review we have. Mm. Uh, this review is from Jay Jacobus. It's a five star review. It says great podcast jay Jay jacobus says these guys are great after enjoying watching them on after buzz i followed them here very cool very interesting insights damn we so cool we so insightful i'm dabbing i'm dabbing i'm dabbing i'm dabbing dab 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 he did it. I can confirm. Thank you. He's not, I mean, like you got to picture it. His arms are going one way and then his arms are going the other way. Yep. Very rhythmically. Yep. yep. And I'm like looking to the side and I'm looking to the side as one does when they dab or if they're doing sweet, sweet, uh, Sentai poses, Sentai pose, Sentai pose, I don't know what Sentai that pose. It's all right. You need to up your nerd status. Sentai warriors are what, uh, Power Rangers are. So uh, I didn't know that they had like a specific I thought they were just Power Rangers. Uh well Sentai Warriors is the original Japanese name. I see. Yeah. Um and so that's what that whole genre is, is like Sentai. And so like anytime you see a character doing or a bunch of characters doing a bunch of poses before they fight, they're doing it's like a homage to Sentai. Um so that's that. Um so thank you, Jacob Jacobus. Or Jay Jacobus, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. Anyways. But you, but you dab so good. Thank you. It's 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 really because of my history with Sentai Warriors. <laughs> um, hey, if you uh if you write us a review, you too might get to take our word for it when we say Tari's dabbing. <laughs> yes. Um so yeah, this is a reminder that if you leave a comment and rate us, we read it here on the show um and also if you send us a really fun uh message like on twitter which our twitter is missing outcast m-i-s-s-i-n-g-o-u-t-c-a-s-t uh we will read it here as well we had a a good one a few weeks ago um just a, a really fun loving message that we got on twitter and we read it here so uh make sure to hit us up make sure to be communicating with us on our social media and you too can be here on this show telling us how great we are. Who doesn't love that? Yeah. Who I'm all about that? it. That sounds great. <laughs> I love being told how great I am. Yeah. Well, you are great. I love it. Yeah. Um, so my, my next thing is it's a concept, but it's, it's just a, it's a grouping of different things. Um, you had mentioned Wonder Woman earlier, and that had included that in my uh, thing, which was genre-breaking genre breaking co- uh, comic content. Um, so Explain. S- yes. Uh, so essentially, it's things that take these comic book ideas, and they essentially 
break the break the genres because a lot of the time when we have these comic book things it's either an origin story or if we've had a lot of time to spend with them then it's just like here take these heroes and put them against insert villain right um whereas i feel like in 2017 we had a lot more content that was like all right where there's a lot of superhero fatigue so let's take these characters in these concepts and put them in scenarios in which it's not just the good versus evil. There's a lot more gray. So things like Logan and, and um, uh, Legion and Wonder Woman, my, my hero academia, these really found interesting ways of integrating these comic book heroes or these concepts and making them into another genre so legion is essentially like a psychedelic thriller but with mutants logan is essentially a modern western but with the x-men um wonder woman is a war story but with a a god figure in it um my hero academia flips the the like mutant genre on its head in that instead of being mutants emerging in a world where everyone is normal it's everyone has abilities and you're following one of the normal people and how they adapt in that world and so that i feel like has been a really booming uh i guess uh trend in media that i really enjoy yeah absolutely and we're, we're now at a point where we can start to deconstruct a little bit or play with some of these tropes because people are now so familiar with it mm-hmm. we we've turned we've turned mass audiences essentially into comic book audiences whether or not they actually pick up comic books themselves we had a we had a year where i guess i guess look i guess you'd have to argue justice league was a was a pretty big misfire but for the most part, a really strong year for superhero movies and a very diverse year for superhero movies. I know uh, a lot of people criticize Marvel for having movies that feel aesthetically similar to each other, but I think even just the Marvel movies, obviously, yes, uh, in terms of sense of humor, in terms of aesthetic, to a certain degree, especially between Guardians Volume 2 and Ragnarok, um, some overlap, but I feel like you're dealing with uh, even just those three incredibly different sensibilities, incredibly different uh, uh, like uh, genre trappings within each, um, incredibly different tonal balances. Yeah. Um, and then add add things like Logan and Wonder Woman on top of that. I mean, I think we we saw once again this year pretty clearly how diverse these stories can be. So hopefully we keep leaning into that mm-hmm. to stave off this uh, alleged fatigue. Yes. Uh, or overwhelmedness. Or overwhelmed or or dauntitude. Yes. Um, what else do you have for oh, us? Oh, it's my turn again? All right. Yes. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I liked this year for, uh, from 2017 was stuff that was uh, wildly divisive or made people grumpy. Okay. Uh, one such thing, uh, a personal favorite of mine from 2017 was Alien Covenant. Okay. A lot of people really did not care for this movie. And honestly, I get a lot of it not that I agree with a lot of the criticisms people have and I'm certainly not going to say it's a perfect movie but first of all I think the marketing really hurt this movie a great deal I think people were sold uh, a fairly schlocky like throwback almost grindhousey horror movie starring the xenomorph yeah 
not not even slightly what Alien Covenant is. Alien Covenant is heady and weird. Ridley Scott is a total weirdo, and I mean that in a in a good way. That's a compliment. Mm-hmm. I feel like Ridley Scott does not get enough notice for how like dang weird he is. It feels very much like it almost feels like a con job. Like it almost feels like he tricked Fox into giving him hundreds of millions of dollars to finance his weird nihilistic philosophical head trip. Uh, by telling them, oh yeah, I'm gonna make another alien movie. Oh, and it's it's gonna be like it's not like Prometheus is gonna have like more aliens in it. Uh-huh. Um, but really, he was just like over in the corner, like rubbing his hands together and giggling. Um, it's a bizarre, bleak movie. A lot of people point at point at it, and also uh, Prometheus before it, and criticize it for what they feel to be the objective stupidity of the human characters. Mm -hmm. And I agree that that stupidity is very much on display, and I think Covenant makes it clear in a way maybe Prometheus didn't, that that's part of the point. Uh, Covenant makes it it very clear to me, uh, and in doing so, I think actually makes Prometheus a stronger movie retroactively. It, It clarifies that the protagonist of these movies, if Ridley Scott actually, I, I hope one day he'll get to make a third one maybe and round this out as a trilogy. Mm-hmm. But the protagonist of this story, this Alien Universe prequel story, is not any of these humans. It's David, the android played by Michael Fassbender. He's your protagonist and he's also the primary antagonist of these movies. He's a tremendous villain. But essentially it's a story about mankind playing God and creating life forms in the form of AI, androids, artificial intelligence. But the life that we create in our attempts to play God is in fact more godlike than we are. Mm-hmm. And then this being that we've created that is more godlike than we are decides to play God itself. And not only is it now creating life, but because it is so godlike in comparison to us and it becomes aware that it is godlike in comparison to us, we are to it as as insects or playthings. The movies, uh, Prometheus and especially Covenant, looks they look at their human characters the way David does. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with a collection of people making decisions that I think, yeah, on the surface are, are pretty dumb. But like, also I got like, if that, if you get, if you bump into that super, super hard, I got bad news for you about real people. Um, but I appreciate, I appreciate that the point of view is that nihilistic and that negative when it comes to people, not even because I am truly that nihilistic and truly that anti-human. Yeah. It's just bonkers to me that he got hundreds of millions of dollars to make that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not terribly well received, uh, in large part, I suspect, because audiences had no idea what they were walking into, and it was in no way what they felt they had been told they were walking into. Yeah, I would encourage a lot of people to revisit it if maybe you were put off by it the first time, try and revel in its weirdness and its headiness and... and Fassbender's performance there's a scene where uh, Fassbender who's playing David and Android uh, meets Walter a, also played by Fassbender a later model of uh, similar uh, Android design and Walter is very similar to David except that they people discovered after like the line that David came off of had been in production for a little bit that they thought too creatively. And if they were able to think that creatively and that independently, that would make them dangerous. So Walter is very similar to David, except that he can't create. So there's this incredible scene. It's one of my favorite scenes from the last, uh, last year where 
Michael Fassbender is playing the scene off of himself Mm -hmm. and David is teaching Walter how to play the pan flute and there's something so strangely it's cerebral but it's also weirdly erotic and it's this (laughs) weird pseudo erotic scene between Michael Fassbender and Michael Fassbender Mm -hmm. that is the price of admission alone right there um uh Catherine Waterston is in it she's great Danny McBride is great in it and I love I love how Ridley Scott utilizes Danny McBride in that he's not a jokey character he's not he's never really playing any of it for laughs but without having to sacrifice what makes Danny McBride Danny McBride and what Mm -hmm. makes that personality so likable I think Alien Covenant was really one of the one of the underrated movies of the year not certainly not perfect um, but I think there was so much there. There was so much truly compelling, heady weirdness there that it's a movie of the movies from 2017 that I liked. It's one that I find myself revisiting even more than I think, uh, I would have suspected, uh, I was going to, but yeah, like very, very underrated, very cool, very weird, very weird movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the, the like. I'm making air quotes like the criticism. I get people having no clue what to make of it. Yeah. Um, I think that it makes uh, it makes Prometheus better. It absolutely um, makes Prometheus. But Prometheus, even without it, I think there is a lot. I get I get what everybody's problems with Prometheus are. I share a lot of these same issues. But even the production design and the score and the cinematography of Prometheus, yeah. how do you not... Just, I feel like I melt into it every time I throw Prometheus on. But yes, I agree that on a thematic and story level, I think it retroactively makes Prometheus stronger. Yeah, I think the biggest downfall of that series is the fact that it has to exist in the mm-hmm. alien it universe. Has, they somehow have to shoehorn it into the established alien mythology. Yeah. Like if it had just started fresh and you were like, all right, cool. There are these engineers, and it's this group trying to find these things, and there's this black liquid, et cetera, et cetera. Then you can just take it as it is outside of the like alien mythos, which I'm not gonna lie, is very muddy. Oh, the, the, oh yeah. No, as far as I'm concerned, the alien mythos is alien and aliens and everything else I can take or leave. I, I prefer to approach Prometheus and Alien Covenant uh as separate from the body of of the main continuity everything that came before as far as i'm concerned maybe somehow if we made two or three more of these it would line up perfectly maybe it wouldn't i don't care all that much yeah i don't feel like the the space jockey in the original alien is all that cheapened for me because i've seen other space jockeys running around in this one i don't really connect the two in my head all that's by choice i don't yeah. really connect the two all that strongly in my head like i right. could take or leave the actual alien elements um like even ridley scott like when after prometheus came out and it received a, a very mixed reception um and people one of the complaints some people had was that they wanted to see more of the xenomorph ridley scott was talking about how he you know he he felt uh how could why you know it's like that's been done and how they're like stuffed animals of this thing now like how yeah. scary could this possibly be it's, it's like you know it's like i felt like it was time to put a fork in the thing mm-hmm. apparently other people did not feel the same way <laughs> so there is more there's definitely more xenomorph action and look i always i like that thing i think that's one of our greatest uh probably our one of our greatest film monsters um but yeah i feel like i could take or leave a lot of the actual like alien iconography i just love the it's it's really like he uh we talked about Blade Runner on this show. Alien yes. Covenant feels to me like he made a movie where Roy Batty was the hero, mm-hmm. essentially. 
And that's a little bit like what this, it's like if, if Roy Batty was experimenting with Xenomorphs, it would be a lot like Alien Covenant. And again, for me, that's all I'm sold on that. Um, but yeah, just cool and, and super weird. Um, so yeah, once again, just circling back to hit this point again, I encourage people to either check it out or revisit it and embrace the weirdness. Mm-hmm. Um, so my next thing is another podcast, um, but it's so much more than that. So um, this is the Adventure Zone is a I've heard of this. Yeah. It's created by the the McElroy boys, which is uh, Travis, Justin, um, Griffin, and their father, Clint. Um, they're a family, and they have a, a slew of other podcasts, um, but they decided to jump into D&D, which has gotten kind of a resurgence in the last few years because of show, shows like Stranger Things and um, the Geek and Sundry Critical Role, things of that sort. Um, and they also came out with the fifth, fifth edition, which kind of helped fix some of the issues that third and fourth edition had. Um, and so now, uh, they had dove into that. And at first it was just a bunch of brothers dicking around. And then it grew into this really big collaborative storytelling adventure between them and the audience. So they found really clever ways of integrating the audience in that, like, if you interacted with them on Twitter, um, they would integrate your name into the storytelling. You could also pitch different weapons that the, uh, the, the adventurers would be able to purchase or receive throughout their adventure. So it really found a way to include the audience as well. Um, but beyond that, you see it grow so much from just a really simple storytelling thing to them essentially developing out these characters and increasing the production value to where Griffin started. He started producing the music for each episode. uh, And so each character had their own theme and each arc had their own theme. And the way that the, the brothers started being invested, you got a sense of who they were through these characters and you got really connected to them and their struggles and they found a way to tie everything together and it had such a satisfying emotional ending that it it is weird to find yourself kind of getting choked up or even crying um at the way that it ends considering that the beginning of it was just them making dick jokes it uh, do you got you don't got to justify i cried at the sexy fish man movie like i, I know I'm, I'm just i'm with it i get it like it's just so crazy to see how much growth over the course of like they started it in i want to say 2004 um and so Dang. it was a three-year-long campaign of them doing these bi-weekly shows each about an hour to 90 minutes um and uh Essentially, they finally ended it in 2007. Um, <laughs> yes. I was, like, I, was like, Wait, is this, I was like, wait, is this from last year? That's a decade ago. What? Oh, what did I say? You said 2004 to 2007. Oh. Did you mean 2014, 2017? Yes, that's, that's right. That, I, that was my question. I was like, wait, they've been doing it for that long? Yeah, were there podcasts in 04? <laughs> well, there were, but they were only Kevin Smith. Um, 
But uh, yes, oh, yeah. so 2014. He was, he was doing Smodcast around then, wasn't he? Yeah. I, would, uh, I listened to Smodcast like when it started. Like, oh, did you? Like, that's how long I've been listening to that dude's podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. But yeah. So uh, in, it also was just a crazy. I think one of the other things that really struck me about the Adventure Zone was their uh, inclusivity in that, like, yes, from at the beginning, it was these these three, this family of, like, Midwestern white dudes. Uh, and so, like, their characters started out that way. And then as they kept going, they introduced not just, like, other species, but other, like, um, like sexualities. And they tried to make sure that they were as inclusive as possible. They never gave definitive descriptions so that people could put themselves into these characters and make their own fan art without having official canon descriptions, which I thought was really interesting in that like it allowed people to also be creative within the world that they created. Um, so it was a, it was a big hit. It, it like took over the waves as, as it was coming to a close. Um, and if you have a chance to catch up, it's 60, something episodes like i want to say 62 episodes um from the beginning of the balance arc to the very end and it's so worth your time okay i will make a note of this this i mean that sounds pretty involving if nothing else (laughs) um yeah it's it's very and it also uh i was a big D D guy in college and it like reinvigorated my love for for collaborative storytelling like i've done improv and and other things like performance type stuff but there's nothing quite as kind of capturing and 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 enthralling as being able to tell a linear story with other people contributing all these different bits and pieces and like growing this character from nothing and figuring out who they are and how to portray them and things of that sort. Like it's, it's so satisfying. Cool. Mm. And it's, it's cool to see people doing that in an audio medium. It's cool that we basically, thanks to podcast, we basically have uh, uh, radio plays resurgent. Mm -hmm. What else? What, what are your last, I will say, couple last one yeah no let's do i so okay i'm gonna do i'll i'll do uh one more like with any kind of detail can i really quick just hit a couple that i'm not really going to talk about in any detail just a couple of things i want to shout out sure because i tried to put together a list and then abandoned trying to put together this list completely okay but i got as far as uh you know, I made a list of like 20 some odd items, a few of which I've shouted out here, but like some, a few of the other just say like movies that I loved this year. I loved uh, Colossal, mm-hmm. loved Colossal. Do you know Colossal? No. Guy, uh, Nacho Vigalondo directed it, uh, made a movie a handful of years ago called Time Crimes, which is uh, dope. We should do a Time Crimes episode. Okay. Um, but it stars Anne Hathaway and uh, uh, Jason Sudeikis. And it's a movie where it's it's ostensibly a giant kaiju movie, uh-huh. uh, but it's actually it's a movie about alcoholism and personal responsibility and also a little bit of toxic masculinity thrown in for good measure. Okay. But using the device of a giant uh, kaiju uh, destroying South Korea that may or may not be connected to Anne Hathaway's character. I loved it. Uh, one of one of the unexpected uh, real joys of the last year for me. Okay. Uh, Wind River, I thought was great. Was not expecting too, too much from it, even though it was written by Taylor Sheridan, who did, among other things, uh, Sicario, which incredible. Um, I believe it's his directorial debut. Stars, uh, uh, I was going to say, 
going to say Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch, uh, Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen, um, who are great. Although it's funny if you watch it, knowing that they must have shot it in between Avengers things, every once in a while they play a scene together and it feels like Renner drops into Hawkeye for a second. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's a great movie. It's about these two uh, working together to try and solve uh, a rape and murder uh, of a young Native American girl. It's very powerful. It's not. It's actually because of his style. It's a lot more fun than a story about that has any right to be. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great, great movie. I, I highly recommend people check that one out. Um, a ghost story, excellent. Uh, but, but, but Florida Project, excellent. Baby Driver, I'm in the bag for literally anything Edgar Wright makes. Um, it was like an action movie ballet, essentially. Yeah. It felt like a in a good way. It felt like a really big. Uh, it felt like a musical, essentially. Yeah. But with cars instead of uh, dancers, gave me uh maybe my favorite Jamie Fox performance that I've ever seen. Interesting. Um, yeah, was that was one of the the best times I had in a movie theater the past year. Uh, Blade Runner 2049, a movie that. I guess it stands to reason that it didn't quite find its audience. It's, it's three hours long, super heady. Um, incredible though. Like if the three hour runtime kept you out of the theater, find it on demand. I think it's on demand now, like find it, check it out. It's, it's, it blew me away. Um, Roger Deakins shot it. So it, you know, it's gorgeous. That alone, just stare at the pretty pictures. You didn't have to listen. Just stare (laughs) at the pretty pictures. Uh, John wick chapter two loved um, I, I was a big fan of the first John Wick chapter two, I think ups the ante in every way while also radically expanding the world that these movies take place in. Yeah. Uh, they, stars is doing a, a spinoff TV show called the continental now, which I think is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, was excellent. And then of course, uh, star Wars, the last Jedi, which I don't feel like I need to talk about right now because you've just spent a month listening to slash reading people share their opinions. There are a lot of opinions, some pretty strong ones. I think I'm going to be ready to talk talk publicly about it again in like six months but i loved it very very much so those are just a few things but the one the last one that i want to actually talk about a little bit not too too much but a little bit speaking about how a lot of the things i liked from this year were things that were very divisive and or outright made people angry i love darren aronofsky's mother okay i the movie. I don't actually. I don't know his mom. I'm sure his mom is a lovely woman. I mean, I love uh, Darren Aronofsky's motion picture mother that he wrote and directed. Yes. Um. So, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you if you've heard of this movie. Oh boy. Oh boy. Was there a, a conversation that surrounded it? Now, I I could explain what the movie is about, but I I didn't know myself, and I think a lot of the fun that I had was in discovering what the movie is. It's The whole thing is an allegory, and if you key in pretty quickly uh, to what the allegory is, it's it's a really easy allegory to track. Yeah. Um, for me, it's not necessarily the what it's about, it's the how it's about it. I think the execution of this movie is staggering in a way where even if you can't fully appreciate, but especially if you can, how hard it is to make any movie, even a terrible one, um, but let alone when you're trying to pull off these, uh, you have to pull off this uh, sustained level of profound intensity, profound catastrophe. You have to pull off a lot of physical uh, changes, not just uh, to your actors, but to your environments. All of these things that have to be uh, heavily coordinated, pulled off without a hitch, or you have to reset and it costs you a ton of money. It's it's uh, 
as far as technical filmmaking goes, in my opinion, it's a profound experience, whether or not you particularly care for the story that you're being told. Now, a lot of people have a hard time uh, getting into the movie because I guess they listened to Darren Aronofsky talk about it before they saw it. I, I guess... That I didn't. I didn't intentionally avoid any conversation about it. I just didn't seek it, and they were pretty quiet about the details of the movie before it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a lot of people before they saw the movie heard Aronofsky talking at length about how he intended the entire thing to be an allegory about global warming. Okay. And I guess that yeah, that's all there. It's all in the movie, but it led a lot of people to suggest that maybe Aronofsky made a more interesting movie than the one he himself thought that he made. Given that, I I feel fortunate that I saw the movie before I heard anyone say anything about it. So I was able to go in with no pre preconceived notions about what it is, about what the intentions were. I just accepted what was in front of me. I feel and I think I don't want to speak for anybody else. I think a lot of people felt that once they heard Aronofsky say that once he spoke to his intention in that way, I could see how if you're only looking at it through that prism or even primarily through that prism, it might feel very preachy like it's really beating you over the head with this one specific message. Yeah. I would recommend if you don't know what it's about, don't know what it's about. Know that it's it's very jarring. No, don't go in if like you've got a if you've got a very weak stomach, if you've got a very low threshold for things just getting like real, real, real hairy. Uh, tread lightly, I suppose. But if you've got a strong stomach and you're willing to feel like a like a movie really grabs you and like smacks you in the face and shakes you aggressively by the shoulders, um, it's an experience. And I think it's an experience where even if you don't have a particularly fun time watching it, sidebar, there is there is value to movies that isn't just does it make you feel warm and fuzzy. This is something that seems to have gotten a lot. A lot of the conversations I heard about Mother when it was first released, this is not my inference. People would literally say a variation on this movie didn't make me feel good. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I didn't like it. And I want to, I mean, that's fair, I guess. I, I don't like not feeling good, but I don't think it's fair to consider the movie a failure because it didn't make you feel warm fuzzies when that wasn't part of the intention. Right. But even if you don't like the way the movie makes you feel, it, the, uh, the execution of this thing is is staggering. I feel like you'd have to, like, take, you'd have to take your hat off to how insanely impressive, uh, the filmmaking is that is on display. Mm-hmm. Um, it it shook me. I think it will shake you if you're open to it. But yeah, I encourage you to maybe uh, save save Darren Aronofsky's commentary for after the fact, and maybe you'll have a slightly better time if you're a little bit more little bit more open to it. Yeah, I mean, look, maybe you'll hate it, but you'd still, I think, have to concede it's an impressive movie. <laughs> Uh, nice. I, yeah, it's on my list of things to check out. Um, so I guess I'll give my last thing. You give it, give your last thing because we'll, we'll end up, there will be, I think, uh, uh, notes and musings about a lot of our, our favorite things from 2017 as we move into this next year. There's still some things from last year that I haven't caught up with yet that I still need to see. Right. Uh, so we'll talk. Phantom Thread. Like at some point we'll talk about Phantom Thread because I just, I saw that pretty recently and that's technically... That's technically a 2017 movie, but I think it's not getting a wide release till this month. So I think you could argue for 2018, but one day we'll talk about we'll talk about Phantom. <laughs> okay, Thread. I just saw the commercial for it today. Yeah. So Daniel Day Lewis making dresses. 
Yes. I my first thought was, isn't he retired? Well, this is this was the last, last movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. And apparently he made a dress in preparation. Of course he did. He works really hard. I'm I know. Um all right. So my last thing, and I'll try to be fairly quick about it, um uh is the LA production of Hamilton. I um, I assumed that was gonna be on your list, and of course, how could it how could it not be? Right. So you have to, so to understand, I mean, not to understand, because of course it is, but like um, my relationship with Hamilton, um, it goes back to like, I want to say 2000, late 2005, early 2006 or 2015, uh, late 2015, maybe early 2016, um, whenever the original um, album came out. I want to say... 15 yeah it was like around christmas 2015 because i feel like Um, i feel like everybody was way 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 into it and i jumped into it a little bit later i think than everybody else did yeah because i was i used to be uh, a theater kid in high school Mm -hmm. so there was a window of time where i was very much on the pulse of what was happening in the world of musical theater and then after high school I, i fell out of it and so there was a good i mean most of most of 10 years with uh in which with the exception of you know maybe one or two shows a year tops no had no clue what was happening yeah um and then i started hearing about about hamilton's existence and not thinking about it but it didn't really connect with anything in my head i had no i was vaguely aware of in the heights i hadn't heard it even at that point yeah and then all of a sudden it just exploded and i was like okay well i guess i'm gonna make this a priority and i sat down and i listened to it and i was like oh so there's this now. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I I had heard of it because of a podcast was like, oh, it's great. Um, uh, Lin-Manuel has the the storytelling, of the, like the musical storytelling chops of like Nas and also like the uh, historical content is really cool. So like I, did, I didn't necessarily pay it too much mind, um, mostly because I was also, this was like, the tail end of a really big, like depressive spout. And so like, I hadn't heard the whole thing all the way through. And then I was sitting in my car one day and like, I was just listening to it from beginning to end. Um, and by there was this moment in, in, I want to say it was either, um, room where it happened or the one at the very end where Eliza is, um, where Eliza is putting herself back in the narrative. Um, and there's this line where it's like, we're, uh, no, it was either nonstop or that one, but um, where the concept is like, when your time is up, have you done enough? And I was just like sitting there in my car crying, being like, have I done enough? <laughs> um, and it was like that, it was that moment where like, I don't know, I don't know how much experience like our listeners have uh, with like depression or, but like, Sometimes you got to really like find a reason to live. Um, oh, yeah. And, and it was that moment where I was like, I, I, I started my like steps forward. Um, and so essentially I got obsessed with it, it. And then I heard it was coming to L.A. So I started saving up from there. And so like on April 30th, I was right in the wings and I managed to get one ticket for my birthday. That's awesome. Um and so 
I finally I got to see it. I I like I it was just me and a bunch of people I had never met and um there were a bunch of people singing while it was happening and it had to be quieted by the ushers, but it was like this big moment of things coming to fruition cuz that was that was at that point two and a half years ago. No, one and a half years ago. Um and just seeing how far I as a person had come from there to sitting in that seat um this album being the background music to a bunch of things in my life shifting and changing and us starting this podcast and things of that sort and just being there in the room where it happens um (laughs) felt like a really good way to kind of track my growth as a human yeah and i mean i don't if you don't know that Hamilton is an incredible piece of work, I where have you been? <laughs> I guess, I think, and this is a big statement too, and I guess time will tell. But Hamilton feels like an incredibly important work of its generation. I don't, not just of any one particular year. Hamilton feels to me like one of the most genuinely important works of art this generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if that weren't the case. It is written so beautifully, and I, I mean both uh, musically and lyrically, and the story it tells is so powerful. If you ha- you'd have to be a robot or completely absent a soul not to be a weeping mess at the end of this thing. <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. I'm going to wrap this up. Um, uh, so uh, thank, you for, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us and, and hearing our, our tales of 2017. No one cared who I was till I put on the mask. <laughs> but t- take that mask off. No. Um. I like it. <laughs> There's weed in here. Oh, man. He's just vaping the whole time. <clears throat> um, but don't forget to, as we said earlier, uh, subscribe so you can get our show in your feed every Tuesday um, and leave us a comment with a rating of five stars if you super duper quadruple love what we're doing. Um, Quintuple. No. Super duper quadruple. If you love it four times, you give us five five stars. stars. That's confusing. It's definitely maybe is. Um, (laughs) But while you're there, leave a comment. Let us know. Um, One... Uh, how you feel about the show, but also, what was your top stuff for uh, 2017? And what also, did you love? Also, on a scale of one to ten, how hilarious do you find Bane? <laughs> the numbers for one through five don't work. That's true. It's gotta be six or above. I know numbers. You at least find Bane half hilarious. Yes. Um, and also to know everything that we're covering from week to week, make sure to hit up. Our Twitter, uh, Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T, for all the new, fun, missing out things. Um, but if you don't want to hit up our Twitter, why don't you hit up our personal Twitters? Uh, what is yours, Lex Michaels? Uh, um, oh man, what is it? At I'm out of George there. Michaels. At George, at George Kennedy. 
at cool. George Hamilton. <laughs> at the George Hamilton. I am at I am really George Hamilton and have been all the time, you guys. Oh my! At, at <laughs> Secret George. At Mystery George. At George. Anyway, I'm, I'm all over <laughs> social media at the Lex Michael. Awesome. Uh, and you can find me at Tari J. That's T A U R I J A Y. Once again, OMG, thanks for joining us. We heart you. Uh, and we are going to miss out on your loving until next week. Thanks. Bye. Oh mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no! We you don't want to talk about Bane some more? I don't. <laughs> I'm all, I'm I'm all baned out. <laughs>